Well, welcome back to the Broad Oak Piety Podcast. It's been a couple weeks, but here we are. I say here we are. We're actually in different locations recording this episode, but we wanted to try to eke out a brief discussion uh, in the midst of busy weeks. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. It hasn't been as it hasn't been as long as uh, you know it has in the past when we've taken unexplained hi- an unexplained hiatus. That's all on you, surgeries and whatnot. You know, well, I'd like to keep the the listener like just in suspense. Mm. Are they coming back? Have they given up on this project? What's what's happening exactly? Sure. And what this podcast may just drop off of the face of the earth and we won't even notify anyone about it. It'll just one day it'll be the last episode and it, there's never, we don't say goodbye. It's just, there's never another episode. The listener never knows when that may be. No, I got to have closure. I'm a closure kind of guy. You just, you know, we got to, I love those. I love those shows where you were, you know, you're, you're, you've been hooked on a show for four or five seasons and then there's just some writer strike and uh, they drop the show and never pick it back up. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that. Mm. <laughs> well, we wanted to briefly talk about a question related to a believer. Well, I mean, an individual in general, but let's take a believer who has kind of grown up in the Christian scene, their own local church, sort of the broader evangelical world, and has sort of gotten the idea that really all that they need is the Bible and their own prayer closet. Um, have you encountered that idea, brother? Yeah, it. it I just read even today, uh, I hopped on social media for a moment and I saw somebody make a post quoting someone else about just the The necessity of the local church in in being um, the main mechanism God uses to mature a Christian, which has been a theme that you and I have talked about in this podcast. Um, And I saw somebody um, (laughs) write in the comments um, that uh, in disagreement and saying almost exactly what you just said. Um, You know, it's it's me. It's my personal devotion to Jesus. It's me in my prayer closet. It's me with, you know, with my Bible. Um, That is the way that God grows me, not being connected to, you know, what this individual would consider organized religion uh, or, or, you know, a pitting against what he would think is organized religion against a relationship with the Lord. But, uh, but the, the point being, uh, his thought was the way in which I grow and mature can happen um, in isolation because it's just me. It's me and Jesus living my Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked before on this podcast about, you know, what is called the ordinary means of grace, that the scriptures highlight public ordinary means of preaching prayer and sacraments as the the predominant methods means that the Lord uses to grow us in our faith. But certainly meditation on the scripture, Bible reading, uh, those kinds of things are valuable, but why, why could it, why would it be potentially dangerous to, to say, you know, every believer um, is indwelt by the Holy spirit. They have their Bible. They can kind of just go off on their own and arrive at, at the truth. And I think we would say that number one, that doesn't 
fit the biblical pattern because in both Old and New Testament alike, in addition to the prescription for preaching, there are examples of how God provided not only his word, but people to explain and teach his word. You know, one example would be, for instance, Nehemiah 8, where, you know, the people of God are having a revival in the Old Testament. You know, this is several hundred years before Jesus comes. And, you know, the book of the law is read. They they make a pulpit for it. And Ezra reads the law. And the text says in Nehemiah 8, um, 7 and 8, that a whole bunch of people, including the Levites, explain the sense, the meaning of the text to the people. Well, certainly, we don't necessarily need to think that all of these Old Testament people were believers, that they were born again, but many of them would have been, perhaps. And here in the Old Testament, right, pre-Christ coming, pre-Pentecost, there's the need for the explanation of scripture in community. And I think that you also see that in the New Testament. And, and that is the pattern that we see is not believers divorced with the Bible by themselves, but believers needing in community to test their own interpretations against the analogy of faith. What is it that the church holds to? How is it that we're going to, quote, hold to the pattern of sound words, right? You don't just read your Bible. You read your Bible as you hold to the pattern of sound words, which we do in community, right? I mean, what would you say, brother? Yeah, I agree. And I, maybe just for our listener, maybe we can, can you can you define for us the analogy of faith? That phrase that you used? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some great, um, better definitions online um, that, you know, are succinct. I mean, essentially what we're after is... Um, the analogy of faith and the analogy of scripture are two things that are important for us to consider, right? But in essence, you interpret scripture in keeping with what the whole of scripture says, that there is a set of teachings, there's a set of doctrines that define things for us. So for instance, when I read my Bible um, and there's a passage about God, the the faith delivered once for all unto the saints is a Trinitarian faith. God is one God existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, I have to keep that in mind because it arises from Scripture, but I have to keep that in mind when I find an isolated verse about one of the members of the Trinity. I can't say, well, this verse says this and forget Trinitarian doctrine. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, if a, if a believer is reading in the beginnings, God created the heaven and the earth, it's not inappropriate to read in the beginning, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth because of that passage of scripture being in the context of the whole counsel of God's word. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could, you know, here's a definition from monergism to, to put it more succinctly. Um, monergism.com defines the analogy of faith as Quote, a reformed hermeneutical principle, which states that since all scriptures are harmoniously united with no essential contradictions, therefore, every proposed interpretation of any passage must be compared with the other parts of the uh, of the Bible, you know, essentially. Um, and, and that's an important thing for us to understand. Um, but the analogy of faith comes as the faith is handed down through the church. And we're not saying, as many Roman Catholics did before the Reformation, that the church gets to make the truth. But what we are saying is the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. The scriptures are the truth, but the church is that community where from generation to generation, 
the central tenets of the faith are passed down. And when you see, for instance, in Nehemiah, when you see, actually, you were, you were mentioning the example in Acts, right? Um, where, you know, here you have this person reading the scriptures and they need someone to explain it to them. You know, I was, I was listening to a brother. Um, he's an acquaintance of mine. He did a podcast recently in a, in a message where uh, it's Steve Meister. And he was talking about, um, you know, many people might use the the passage of scripture where the Bereans uh, search the scriptures. They hear preaching and then they go search the scriptures. And his keen point was, you know, they didn't all go home and read their own Bibles and decide if the sermon was biblical. They gathered together as first century people would have, you know, in meeting places and looked at the scriptures together. You know, a lot of people think, well, to be a Berean means I get to determine the meaning of the text. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Right. The scripture tells us what the meaning of the text is. And one of the safeguards is generation after generation of people holding to uh, biblical doctrine in community as God's people. I think even the way in which if we, you know, for, for those of us that have read the Nicene Creed or, you know, we're familiar with, um, I mean, you and I talk about the our confession of faith, the London confession of faith that yeah. our church subscribed to, like it, uh, the, these were public documents that were written, were summarizing this faith once for all delivered to the saints and that uh, was being articulated by a group of men that were living and pastoring in the context of local church, you know, ministering in the context of local churches, not these weren't um, uh, documents that were drafted by one individual in a closet somewhere that we're subscribing to. Right. And so even some of these creeds and these confessions that, that we benefit from that are um, articulating um, the scriptures testimony about a range of doctrines um, those things were um, studied, searched, and articulated in community, not in isolation. Right, right. In using them, uh, or even in adopting some of the vocabulary, right? To to adopt the vocab the, to adopt the word Trinity, right? We're already um, entering into this. Um, Christian consensus, this community of believers that we're benefiting from. So he, here's another here's another thing that I that I um, was thinking about just as you and I were kind of briefly talking about, you know, recording this episode. Cults that um, you know, I, I think of. Uh, there's a cult just in my backyard. You know, this um, organization called World Missionary Society Church of God. Um, that is uh, asserts there's a God, the father and a God, the mother, right. uh, the way in which they came to that conclusion is by opening a Bible. Uh, I, th- I, I think they use predominantly when I've engaged with them, they're always using the NIV uh, translation. Uh, and they point to uh, God creating man in his image, male and female, he created them. Yeah. And their conclusion is if male and female are created in the image of God, there must be a God, the mother and a God, the father. Um, and, and that's become a pretty central 
conviction. Um, it's, it's kind of what they lead with, even when they're evangelizing. Um, now, these, these creeds, these confessions that we have that have defined the riverbanks of orthodoxy, right, that, ha that have been the, the church's perspective of the scriptures for 15, 1600 years, this interpretation that you're seeing that has led to this organ this cultish organization is uh, very much a isolated interpretation when you zoom out and you look at this rich heritage that we benefit from right uh, this, this community of believers that we've benefited from again over 16 plus 100 years um and uh and for me that, that that's an extreme example uh and and, I, and i'm not saying that that's what happens when every person begins to read a bible in isolation by the, mm -hmm. by themselves and and d dismisses this um um kind of communal testimony about what the scriptures teach um but there is a very real danger uh that is evident when it's tested uh, by what the church has con confessed. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? You, you're saying there is a real danger when you don't test what you're reading according well, to what the danger becomes clear because you can you can compare okay, yeah. you know you can compare the two yeah right? um, yeah and I mean even you know a lot of people will think well you know the ref you know we when you hear about the Reformation 1500 you think Martin Luther you know here I stand you know, sola scriptura, we've talked about sola scriptura, right? Yeah. Sola scriptura doesn't mean scripture alone without anything. It means scripture is the final authority. But Martin Luther would never have thought to himself, well, I found a new teaching in the scriptures. No, he specifically thought, I am standing on the scriptures as have earlier people, and it's the Roman Catholic Church that's moved, Right. I mean, John Calvin would similarly go back to, you know, the faith once delivered to the saints. And many of the reformers and Puritans would have said, we're the ones that are actually standing on scripture with the church down through the ages. It's Rome that has left. And somehow in the 21st century, a lot of people think that each, each new Christian can kind of open the Bible. And because we do have the Holy Spirit, we don't need anything, but actually in the Bible itself and through the history of the church, the Lord has used not only his word, but his word carried in community and that community writing down documents from the word like creeds and confessions and has used ministers of God to make sure that people are not coming up with interpretations that are false. And without being sensationalist, it's the heretics like Arius, right, who says, it's this is this is me and my Bible, and I'm going to go against the church, and that that's a dangerous position when you go against you know the the analogy of faith or what the church has held the scriptures to teach down through the ages. Now, some people might be listening to this; they may say, "Yeah, but there's differences about what the church believes about baptism or about church officers." And what we're talking about here is mainly core doctrines, right? Um, we're not talking about subtle distinctions between, between churches, right? But yeah, I think, yeah, the, the heart of what we're talking about is what makes a church a church or what distinguishes one from being a Christian versus being a heretic. Yep.
and and I think you're right. I mean, I think a common characteristic of those who um, drifted into heresies, you know, and that's a that's a very strong word, right? To to be labeled a heretic, um, uh, I, we need to reserve that word for someone who's an apostate from the gospel of God, right? Yeah. Again, what makes a Christian a Christian? But the the common characteristic, I think you're right, is one that would say. I have it right. My my personal own interpretation is right on this. Uh, and everyone uh, over the last 16, 1700 years is wrong on this. You, you know, the, one of the things that I have seen in this discussion, and it might sound a little snarky um, and all jokes aside, I, I, I don't tend to, to regularly be drawn to snarky things. Um, but you know, people have said something like this. Um, creeds don't stand over the Bible. Uh, or better said, they might say something like this. Creeds are not more important than the Bible, but they are more important than your interpretation of the Bible, right? And, and the point is, some people are saying, you know, creeds and confessions, I don't believe in those kinds of things. You know, that's putting something on the text. And, and what we're saying is the, the confessions and creeds don't replace the Bible, but they are more important than my own interpretation of the Bible, right? Um, and I think that's that's an important thing for us to say. So practically, what that means is we need to be members of a local church that's a part of the creedal confessional position of the church down through the ages, right? We need to be involved in Bible study um, as individuals, but even in small groups that are connected to some kind of larger authority of the church, right? I mean, if, if a person is here and they're, they're, you know, they're going to a Bible study at work and nobody has any connection, to any kind of local church, it doesn't mean you have the wrong interpretation, but, but you do need to ask yourself, what's the guiding theological understanding of how we're reading the scriptures, right? The preaching of the word on Sundays is more important than my Monday morning Bible reading, right? Um, and when I'm reading the Bible and I get to a difficult passage, it's not me trying to discern by myself what the Holy Spirit is saying. I ought to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, let me read trusted men down through the ages. Would you help me to understand this passage? Because I can guarantee you for most of us, we wrestle with the scripture less than many uh, of our forefathers in the faith. So we would be unnecessarily arrogant to think that we don't need them. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's helpful. And I, by wrestling less, are you talking about just the the breadth of information that we have at our disposal because of the hard the efforts of? Yeah, I just I just mean like if you if you if you're reading your your scriptures on a Monday morning and you get to a difficult passage, and you spend maybe an hour thinking about it, there are a lot of dead theologians and pastors and Christians who spent months and years thinking about that yeah. passage. And so don't think that your 20-minute morning devotional is on par with the amount of in-depth study that's available to you by, by brothers and sometimes sisters, but brothers in the faith down through the ages. I mean, we, we do believe that we're a part of the one church of Christ. And so dead theologians from 1,500 years ago are our brothers, and they still speak to us through their writings. So when we get to a difficult text— <laughs> It behooves us to consider how is the church considered this text, not what do I think this Monday morning with my coffee, you know? Yeah.
Yeah, that's that's a that's a very helpful, I think, comment there. Just even as it relates to our our private Bible reading. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is is not thinking even when we're doing our own devotions. Uh, it's just it's just me and the Bible, but being able to bring into that this uh, cloud of witnesses in this um, one holy apostolic church. Yes, yes. And this is not in any way to say we shouldn't be reading our Bibles. In God's providence, we have them. Let's read them. Let's study them. Let's meditate on them. But let's just increasingly not try to divorce ourselves in that from other brothers and sisters who are alive today, particularly who have been given to us in the church, namely elders, right? Mm -hmm. But let's also not divorce ourselves from other brothers and sisters who have already gone to be with Christ, whose writings on those passages can still be helpful to us today. And through which we see a stream of this, this is within the bounds of what, of what the scripture is teaching, right? It's, it's helpful. It's, it's me recognizing I have limitations. I'm a fallible man who needs other people in the faith to help me understand the word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Excellent. Well, good to be with you, brother. Uh, very important topic and uh, glad to, glad to talk about it with you. Yeah, man. Thanks, my brother. Absolutely. Well, Lord willing, we will be back in uh, a week or so, maybe three, you never know. Um, and we'll hopefully be uh, recording some more things. Um, and, you know, there may be some other kinds of topics we need to talk about, like books that are being written and, uh, you know. You're writing a book? No. Well, <laughs> I might be, but I wasn't referring to a book that I'm writing. Uh, and I'll tease the I'll tease the audience with that, you know. So, um, but you know, if a man from Georgia writes a book, well, it's it, it it's going to be extra long because you know you you guys speak slower. So I'm assuming you you write slower. Is that well? No, we no you we write quickly. We just add a few extra uh, syllables in the huh. words. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, dear listener, we'll leave it there and get back with you another time.